Monday, April the 24th, 2023. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We've got the season finale of The Mandalorian, the deep dive, scene by scene with Tim Kelly. We've also got some best bets for Wednesday over at Keeneland for you. So a little horse racing and then some Mandalorian here on That's What G Said Podcast. want to remind you and mention some of the sponsors of That's What G Said Podcast. Let's talk about Thrive Fantasy. Those of you who are fans and like to play daily fantasy, DFS, like to play fantasy football, fantasy sports, have some fun, put a few bucks in, get some action on the games, you will love this website. You can actually play in contest that are a $20 contest where they have a couple thousand dollars in prizes. They pay out 400 bucks to the winner. They pay out the top 20 places. You can also bet props on this website and you can bet prop parlays. Even if you're in California, even if you're in Texas, even if you're in states where you can't wager, you can play these prop parlays because it's contest and fantasy style. Use the promo code GINO when you deposit anything up to 250 They'll give you a match deposit bonus on that one. And these parlays, which is what is great about them, they pay better than your normal parlay. So if you go through and you take a look at how much each of the parlays pay, that you get better odds for each parlay leg at Thrive Fantasy. Use that promo code G-I-N-O for the deposit. Okay, let's talk a little horse racing, and then we'll get into The Mandalorian. Remember, if you're looking for some more basketball coverage, every single day we have NBA playoff preview shows. If you follow me, it's me, Gino B. It's myself and Eric, and we take a look at the Daily Racing Forum DRF Sportsbook betting lines, and we preview every game. We also give you a couple props to play for Thrive Fantasy. So thrivefantasy.com, promo code Gino. If you're in the state of Iowa and you want to use DRF Sportsbook, use our promo code FAST1000. Right now, some horse racing. Keeneland best bets for Wednesday. racing fans many of us have been using the drf the daily racing form for years studying the races keeping up to date on news with all the articles i remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack wherever i was going now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use drf with drf.com and the newly optimized drf mobile you can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And 
any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Just a few days remain at Keeneland this year, and uh, the Keeneland meet closes up this week. Let's talk about Wednesday racing for April the 26th. I'm looking at the daily racing form past performances. If you ever need help handicapping the races, getting a little bit more research, it's got to be drf.com. And for me, it's the formulator past performances. Those are the ones that we're going to be looking at right here. I like them because makes it really easy to click to a chart, to click to a race replay, one click to pedigree information, to trainer statistics, all of the, the really, really important stuff for me, the tools that I really need, the resources I need, DRF has them. DRF.com, formulator, past performances. Let's take a look at a couple plays. Um, I'm always trying to look for some prices for you. Let's look at races two, four, six, and eight today. Who do we appreciate? Race number two, it's a five and a half furlong turf sprint. It's a maiden special eight, and we have three-year-olds and up. I'm looking in here at the number nine as uh, an interesting horse. This one is named McGolden. So you look at McGolden, and all of his races have been going long. So this will be the first time he's ever sprinting. But what I like about him, he's shown some positional speed routing. So in... In almost in all four of his starts, he's not been way, way out of it. He's been close up. Actually, three of them, he's pretty much right on the lead and just off it. On March 26th of last year in 2022, actually showed us that he can pass horses a little bit. Now, he moved to the Al Stahl Jr. barn, and when he ran on March the 1st, he was off a long layoff. He had not raced since May of last year. So think about that. The entire second half of his three-year-old year and the first part of his four-year-old year, growth, development, sports could have matured quite a bit, and he just may have gotten tired in his last start. It's just a race that he needed off the bench. I think he could take a step forward there, so he should be fitter, cutting back, and second start off the bench. We know he can pass horses. It's just, will the sprint distance actually be 
what he wants. But think about who's going to be aboard him now, Joel Rosario, who's so good at getting horses to relax and then come from way out of it and to finish strong. He feels like he fits this horse to a T. Mick Golden is 15 to one on the morning line. I think he should be more like an eight to one shotter here. You just sort of go up and down the field. I don't know. Nobody they terrified me. Charging is the horse to beat. Absolutely. But he's parked out wide. He's going to be flashing, you know, some, he has some legitimate sprint speed too. We've seen from him. And I think from way out there, he's going to have to be close. Maybe a, a nice target for McGolden with, Obviously, some other pace factors in here too, right? We saw Liquid Addiction show legitimate sprint speed. We saw, we, we saw Say It Loud. Say that five times fast. With some sprint speed, we saw Eternal Bliss forwardly placed. Um, Monet never forwardly placed in sprint races. So these are horses who have all shown that they're quick. And this five and a half furlong turf race could be very, very fast early on. I like the versatility that we may be able to get from a horse like McGolden, who hopefully doesn't have to be way, way out of it, but can pass some horses. Let's give McGolden a look. Second start off the long layoff. McGolden, 15 to 1 on the morning line. Let's move to race number four for our next play. Say first level allowance, mile on the turf for four year olds and up, which have not won a race other than maiden claiming or starter, never won two. I'll look at the three in here, or excuse me, I'm going to look at the five in this particular race. We're going to look at Badge. Now, this horse overall has some really nice form. So we see on the turf, you don't find a whole lot of bad races. But I'm, I'm going to focus on the last three since moving into the Paulo Lobo barn. July the 21st, uh, 24th, off, of, off the bench. So first time for this barn and off the bench, runs a really good second. In fact, the career best effort up to that point. And the race came back strong because the winner that day, American Mayhem, came right back to win their next start. And then they finished third in a stakes race at Kentucky. So it was a runner up that day in the first start for the new barn. Showed that, oh, there's a little ability here. And showed that they can fire fresh for these connections. Came back on September 10th, won that race, breaking the maiden. Then on October the 12th, had a good start, was a close-up second, was about two lengths off, tracked back to about five off, and then moved back up to contend, was challenged immediately, battled throughout the length of the stretch, and finished second that day. Really tried hard. So, you know, we can check a lot of boxes for this guy. He's run well at Keeneland, check. Run well for this barn in those three races. They've all been good, check. He's run well fresh check and now we can just look at this particular barn they are really good with extended layoffs we can go to the the stats right here and you just click days between starts and we go to a plus 180 so we can see how this barn has done over the last five years with a long layoff like this they're 13 for 58 that's a 22 percent clip and a two dollar and 98 cents roi which means if you just blindly bet two bucks, you'd be getting $2.98 back. It's incredible. Really good numbers for a barn who can get horses ready off a long layoff. They've already proven they can do it with this particular horse who ran second off the bench the first time for this barn. Should be forwardly placed, but doesn't need the lead. Can sit just off. That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping he can sit just off a little bit in here. 8-1 to one on the morning line. Anything over five will be worthy of a win wager there. 
Let's move to race number six for our next play. Keeneland Wednesday, taking a look at the DRF past performances. I'm going to go to the number four in here, well, mainly because there's going to be a heavy, heavy favor to the outside, bound for nowhere, who's two to five on the morning line. My main concern with the horse that I sort of like, who I think fits well, if you're not playing the heavy favorite, you can make a strong case for, you know, the, the four horse in here are shot. There's just not that much early speed for this type of a race. Like who going through this field, who are we for sure is going to be on the lead? I guess maybe divine leader from the rail will force them a little bit more. Johnny unleashed hasn't been showing as much speed recently. He's, he's got some in his repertoire. Friar Lawrence, I guess maybe a few of these can be shoved and maybe these horses from the inside will have to be, and that can, help quicken it up a little bit. Like overall, I like this horse's form quite a bit. And what's nice about our shot, he has some upside. He looks like he's better on the turf than on the dirt. And when he was on the turf and finished fourth, the winner of that race was a horse named Yes, I Am Free. This is a multiple graded stakes winning turf sprinter. Just won the Gulfstream Park turf sprint, has won that race multiple times. So he's faced tough company, our shot. He was right behind this runner, not even beating the length. So if you look at his last two races, actually, that's the January 19th race, the March 3rd race. There were there was another next out winner here, but it was actually the race prior to that, way back in, uh, in March of 2022, where there were three next out winners. He was also behind a horse named Running Son of a Gun, who's a great at stakes winner. And... Center mid Maddie came back to win their next start. Alvare came back to win their next start. Talented man came back to win their next start. So exiting some really live races, the turf form, very good. And now we'll go third start off the long, long layoff. He just needs a little bit of help up front because he's not that fast early. Hopefully a few of these drawn down to the inside will try to show some of the speed they once had and from the outside bound for nowhere should be right there forwardly placed and. Hopefully that can be enough to set it up for the four R shot. We won around five to one or so on our shot. And we move to the eighth race final on Wednesday. It's a mile and a half turf race. I don't know who's getting the lead in here. That's why I'm going to the three by process of elimination. Bravo kitten. I don't think it's the one. I don't think it's the two miss yearwood. I don't think it's the four who. I guess has some races where they've tried to show a little bit of speed. The five is not fast. Six is not fast. Seven is not fast. The eight is not fast early. The nine is not fast early. So I'm coming back to the three Bravo kitten who tracked at Gulfstream park and won on the turf last time out, who's shown a little positional speed recently and who's also run well at Keeneland. Even last year, coming from way off the pace in 2022, didn't run poorly. Actually, this April 28th race is the one that I, I like the most because she was not far out of it. She was 4-1 to one that day. She sat pretty close. They went a mile in 316th. They'll be going a little farther here. And it's it's the aggressive rider with Luis Saez aboard. I hope he just gets aggressive, drawn down towards the inside, tries to get out front, slows things down. Bravo, Kitten. See if Luis can steal it on the front end to close out the card. Bravo, Kitten. Has some very fine turf form that would fit with this group and looks to have a pace advantage in a race where there's just no early speed at all. And if they're aggressive, if they're urged a little bit, Bravo Kitten, this four-year-old filly, 
might be tough to run down on the front end. There's a look at Keeneland Wednesday, a couple plays for me. Best of luck to all of you. Remember drf.com for your plays. Formulator is what we were looking at right here. D, uh, DRF, daily racing form for everything you need in the world of horse racing. Good luck on Wednesday over at Keeneland. Good luck this week at Keeneland. Last couple days, good luck on Wednesday. We'll have a lot more racing coverage for you, free analysis and best bets for some tracks coming up this weekend. And we're getting closer and closer to Oaks and Derby, which is uh, less than two weeks away now. We transition on over to finish up with The Mandalorian. Before we do, I want to remind you of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said. First up, sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A, candles.com. No toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants. These are all natural soy wax candles. Use the promo code G-I-N-O. It'll get you 10% off your purchase. Cindy Carava, the full-service realtor. She can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help connect you to the right type of vendors. If you need help with home improvement and um, you know, you're, you're looking to Im- improve your, your garden or uh, you need help with uh, getting contacted uh, to a, a great painter, she has worked with so many different people through the years. Maybe you need help with the, the loan process. She'll connect you with the right type of lender. Her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com, CindyCarava.com. Let's move on in. The Mandalorian, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. It's the season three finale with Tim Kelly. Scene by scene, what we liked, what we didn't. It was a good way to end kind of an up and down uneven season, but they ended it on a high note with the Mandalorian season three finale. Let's dive on in. We finish up with The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 8, Chapter 24, The Return. Tim Kelly joins us to discuss everything about Episode 8, Season 3 of The Mandalorian and how it connects with the greater Star Wars universe. So, spoiler alert, we're going to get into everything that happened right now. Tim, the season, I think the best way I could describe it was uneven. Yeah. You know, and... They, it seemed like with the book of Boba Fett and with this show, they are trying to create this greater universe. And I, and it, it, it hasn't been perfect in doing so. No. Right. It's, it's not that a lot of the content and even the, the individual shows were ever really like bad or something that I just wanted to turn off. It just felt like, I think the best way of putting it was like uneven, inconsistent, um, not exactly yeah. sure how to to like time everything out, right? And split up mm-hmm. where you are. I don't like the whole format of detouring for f- entire episodes off yeah. of like our major story. I think if if they were able to just, you know, maybe massage all of what happened <laughs> in this season a little better, I would have felt a little differently yeah. because coming off of this last episode, I mean, I. This was a good episode. There was action. There was heart. We got to see a lot of the Grogu yeah. did stuff that we had been missing through a lot of this season. There was some badass action. It just felt like it took us a long time to get here. And yeah, I, I enjoyed almost all this episode. But the question I kept asking myself mm-hmm. after the whole season was, how much happened this year mm-hmm. in these eight episodes? Because we sort of feel like, we have Din and Grogu back together on their adventures. 
Moff Gideon, we had to take him out again this year, but we don't even know for sure if he's gone because of everything with the the cloning. It almost feels like we're kind of back where we were a year ago. I don't know if that bothers me so much um, because I am excited for the adventures of Din and Grogu, but I, (laughs) I like this episode as an individual a lot. I just... I have some frustrations overall with the season about the way everything was was set up and plotted out. Yeah, you said it. It it it, it felt weirdly short and long at the same time. I think that has something to do with yes. uh, the uneven uh, elements of it. And uh, this is the era of of fan edits too. This had me thinking. This is probably going to be a great fan edit. I, I, I guarantee there's going to be several fan edits out there that really improve upon this season. Um, they've done it with Obi-Wan. I know there's at least two mm-hmm. really good uh, kind of the mainstream fan edits of that series already. I just downloaded one. I'm going to share it with you if you haven't seen it already. It, it does um, remind me of Obi-Wan in that. Like there, mm-hmm. there are really high highs in this exactly. season. And, and again, like when I think back of movies and TV shows – you don't think of every episode and the quality that's constant in a year or in six months. When you think back, you think about the big moments, right? Mm-hmm. This show will have those big moments every t- soon as Grogu jumped in that IG 12 and then he's able yeah. to, yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. The moments between Bo and Din that were good. There were some great moments with the armorer. Paz Vizla had mo. So there were big moments. It just, a lot of the, the, the fill-ins, a lot of things felt very Elaine, yada, yada, yada. Right. You know? Like we've it got... felt a lot like things things were undone more so than done throughout Absolutely. the season. It felt like they built things and then just kind of – like we were building a house of cards and then just kind of knocked it down. That's how the season felt overall to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we were building up on all these things, and then there was almost like a deus ex machina kind of a resolution to everything that they built up. There was It wasn't so much uh, felt – by by us as the audience uh i feel like we went on a little bit of a journey but we were almost like robbed of the resolution in a, in a weird way uh and i think that that has to do with the uneven aspect of it they didn't build things up in in enough ways and then they didn't pay them off in in the right ways either so it just kind of felt off and it felt a little bit lackluster overall i now it kind of sounds like a lot of negativity right off the bat for us for a show that <laughs> Overall, I, I really do enjoy, like, I do think it's True. a good show and I like watching it all the time. I'm very much entertained by it, but it, the level of this show this year compared to the other two seasons, it just wasn't quite yeah. at that same level. And I think what hurt, we were recently coming off of Andor, a Star yeah. Wars show that was incredible. Maybe one of the best pieces of Star Wars content that's that yeah. exists out there and was so well written. Now, all that being said, in a completely self-contained 45 minutes, I had a blast with this episode. Yes. I had an absolute blast with this episode. This episode as an individual versus like judging something on a whole season, well, that's that's different, right? That that's different. Mm-hmm. There were some some definite peaks and valleys throughout the season, but damn, this episode had so much action. Oh my god. Throughout. Yeah. <laughs> and, like really cool, different looking action i can't recall aerial battles like this 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 looked like something out of the really good mcu 
aerial <laughs> battles that we might see where you have all these Mandalorians using their jet plaques flying around in air. Mm-hmm. Bo-Katan with the dark saber leading the troops, the armor just ringing the tongs and just crushing yeah. people. Like those like Thor, like Mjolnir. Exactly. Like <laughs> yeah. you get such cool vibes as this is happening, and you see Bo leading everybody with the dark saber. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. And some of the the sequence, the sh- the angles they shot stuff with, and like the cinematography oh, yeah. of this episode was. Like honestly, like brilliant. Like it was like yeah. wow. Yeah, the action was top notch, absolutely, and uh, that was actually the most thrilling part of this this episode and the last episode was they uh, and which uh, I should say they felt like one episode split into two. It did. Uh, these it la- did. these last two, uh, but th- it, they ended on a really high point. I mean, I I said that they it, it kind of felt like a lack of resolution. That really came down to the writing. Uh, the yes. writing of the last episode and the buildup to it, I felt so that was lacking. Where we but the are action, moving forward, moment. we're in a cool spot mm-hmm. right now. Yes, but you, it just like the build up to everything. Um, yeah. Some of the big moments might not have been as big as they wanted. Just a, some things fell flat. O- but not the jetpack action. The no. jetpack action delivered. I'll say it, that there, there was it, plenty of good uh, action sequences in this. Getting to see Grogu and Din battling together like a yes. tag team of wrestlers was just incredible to for me. Like you've got Din, you know, using his weapons, and then Grogu using the Force as like to stop anyone from hitting to stop yeah. the Praetorian guards. It was just amazing watching the two of them together. Just watching and the pitter patter of Grogu's little feet was as he for me. jumps like, around <laughs> and he's getting chased. <laughs> yes. I love he, the way he walks on his t- like the little like scurrying around that he does uh, in the bar at the end. I mean, that's you, you can't top that. That's that's a series high. <laughs> like seeing Grogu learning how to control IG twelve and like getting comfortable yeah. with him. It's just that was great. It's just fantastic stuff. And we, I mean, we have a lot. Like this is just nonstop action throughout this scene, but. One one thing to mention before we do our little uh, our little scene by scene, our guy R five plays a huge role. Yeah. Well done, R five the the droid that was a real real sour. He was a coward, a softie, right? <laughs> he was a coward of a droid. He didn't want to get involved, but he, I mean, he basically is is R two in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> he I mean, really is. He, his and. I, it's a, it, to me, it's so great when they can make you feel things from the droids. Like you feel mm-hmm. like you're you're hearing them communicate. Like he's doing his little bleeps yeah. and he's doing his like you you feel emotion from him. You see like body language from a droid. He like peeks his head out ah, and he turns around and goes back the other way. And then the mouse droids are there bothering him and he he hit he knocks him off and he's got to fly. I don't know how they do the little things, but just to make mm-hmm. you feel like this droid is scared. And then afterwards you hear it in Din's voice. Thanks R5, man. You, you say it. like, it just <laughs> like, oh, yeah. man, I, I loved R5 here. Great, great work for him. It was a good showing. Absolutely. I love, I love the droids. Uh, you know, throughout this season, I thought the droids were pretty interesting. There was that one episode where we got a, a little weird with them. I don't know if it uh, oh, yeah. honestly made sense. Yeah. I was going to uh, say, but, yeah, I love the the that scene with R five opening up the 
the the laser doors. I forget what they're called exactly, but they're, they're separating oh, those, him dude, between those the guards. Laser like hologram so cool. doors. That was such a badass scene too. When he's yeah. standing there and from platform, that was like a video game thing, right? Yeah. Like, and a callback to Phantom Menace, one of my favorite parts of Phantom Menace, when Obi Wan and, and Qui Gon or Obi Wan and um, Darth Maul get separated. There, it's 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 fantastic. It's so cool. He has to go and Din has to jump from platform to platform on a on these raised like platforms. And there's groups of two Praetor there's groups of two storm of troopers waiting for him behind mm-hmm. each um behind each of these barriers. And so you gotta go after two guys that are sitting there waiting for you. Yeah. Like that's the word. He doesn't have any element of surprise whatsoever. It's just two dudes sitting there waiting for him, and each time he has to go at them in a different way. Yeah, like he goes. They're learning. They're watching I, what he does the first time. So the next time he's got to go low, and then he goes yeah. like to the right, and he's to the left, and it was just like really, really awesome. So again, it like mixed signals a lot with this season because for as much mm-hmm. like it's as it sounded like we were negative at the beginning. Right. I really like this episode. I just wish we could have gotten to this point a little quicker than where we were through mm-hmm. throughout the year. Like there there we could have probably shaved off three episodes yeah. worth of like oh, yeah. worth of stuff to get here, you know, and 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 felt a little bit cleaner about where we were. So mm-hmm. the uh and the visuals in this were were really, really good. One more thing uh-huh. to to ask you before we uh, we start to go through mm-hmm. the destruction of the dark saber, is that something mm. that that you felt like was too easy? Seemed weird? Seemed off? Maybe it's a good thing moving forward because we have this new Mandalore. What'd you think about about the dark saber that has been built up and then just kind of crushed? Exactly. That's exact. That's a great way of putting it. It was just kind of crushed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just like I felt like the storyline was just kind of crushed. Like yeah. we built up to something. And it didn't quite pay off. And I kind of feel like that was how a lot of things played out throughout this. Like when I said before that if things were just undone, like things that were built up as important were just kind of undone in this episode. They were resolved, but well, and they, yeah, and they made it didn't feel sense, super satisfying. But yeah, yeah. It just like didn't feel like we got to where it was supposed to go or no. uh, we got as much out of it as we needed to before we resolved it. And I don't I don't know what's going on with like production i never know i'm not Hmm. someone who speculates so i'm not gonna act like i was on set and saw and and knew what was going on behind the scenes but there are little gaps in things Mm -hmm. and just reading it like it seems like dave filoni has been really really having his hands on the ahsoka series yes that's what i've heard too i i I have been looking behind the scenes a little bit and that's what i've been hearing and so i i I don't I'm not trying to blame him or the others that might be having a little bit more control over this series than they had in years past. But it just feels like there are little gaps in things like like with that, that on paper, you're like, okay, well, yeah, I guess um, Gideon has this stronger trooper suit now and. Between him and Bo struggling over the dark saber, it wasn't supposed to be this um, but 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 see, that's the problem is like as I'm trying to make sense of it in my head, they haven't yeah. done a good enough job telling me what the dark saber was. Yeah, we right? didn't get enough with it yet. We didn't this get any all conflict stuff between that they, Din. Yeah, that they probably introduced to us in, you know, Clone Wars and Rebels. But 
You can't right. expect everyone to have prerequisites for these shows. It's fun to have little <laughs> cameos and little tidbits that even if someone doesn't know who that person is, it doesn't matter. But I think there was a lot of this lore that we didn't get enough of in order to yeah. make us feel like it was either a big deal or to know the dark saber more, or I, I don't know, but you know, like there's just some, some gaps in some of the things, like you said, where, okay, we got there. It makes sense. Yeah. Could we got there? Could we have gotten there in a much better or more satisfying way? I think so. Yeah, it just felt like they they built a conflict that we never actually really saw the conflict play out. They built they set up the conflict and then resolved it before the actual conflict came to a head. Yep. Uh, and the, the conflict I'm referring to is uh, Bo Katan versus Din Djarin, and, and you know who who should wield this this uh, dark saber and how does that you know affect their whole culture and whatnot, but. That we we kind of talked about this last time. They Remember when it. Go and Din they saw each other first in this season? Mm -hmm. We yeah, thought they were going to go be at it. They were going at it, and like, that that only got better from there. It never got to a point where we were we were concerned for them, you know. So there wasn't really that conflict. There was just a little bit of an underlying thing there where we thought it was going to go somewhere, and it kind of didn't. Uh, it feels like they were they would set up a problem, but not actually go through the problem that never actually feel the ramifications of the problem. We just solved the problem immediately, like within the next episode. And I felt like they did that with a lot of things they set up, even things that weren't problems. Like for instance, the, the you know, the new dynamic with Grogu and, uh, and IG in his IG 12 mech suit, we got one episode of that. I mean, I, I thought it was going to be a temporary thing, but like, I thought that we might live in that era for just, you know, Two episodes, even, know. you know, something a little yeah. bit more where we feel like we've gone on this journey. And then when it changes back or reverts or whatever, you know, we, we felt like we went somewhere instead of just like we got teased with this idea of that and then never really get to see it. I mean, granted, for we, we got to see it a little bit in this one episode, but I wanted a little bit more. I agree. Let's get to Mando season three, episode mm -hmm. eight, chapter 24, The Return, as we begin with the uh, the previously on. They always let us know what happened before we start and we catch up with Bo-Katan escaping from Moff Gideon's base on Mandalore. They are, she's leading the remaining Mandalorians. They don't have Din. Din and Grogu and IG-12 have been captured by Moff Gideon and Paz Vizsla is dead. They've had a few of their, they've had a, a couple losses, but for the most part, she's got a, a major group of those Mandalorians that she's, Leading back to safety, she radios to Axe to let him know. Moff Gideon is alive. He's gathered his forces. He's using our homeworld as his base. They're sending up fighters to destroy the fleet, evacuate everyone. So Axe is able to co communicate with her just briefly. Remember, because of the surface of Mandalore, there's not a lot of communications in and out. But, Tim, we're actually going to learn that a lot of that has to do with Moff Gideon. Because of yeah. the base that they've built there on Mandalore, that is what interferes with a lot of the communications moving in and out. So that's another advantage Gideon has on Mandalore is that he can still communicate like we've seen with Kane and with others, whereas the Mandalorians have a tough time using any communication with one another once they're like out of the perimeter of the cert like the planet as soon as they're yeah. above the uh, the perimeter. So um we we did get tricked a little bit too because Axe and the Armorer, straight good guys, <laughs> yeah. no evil yeah. heel turn, no 
no bad guys <laughs> here turning on the uh, on the Mandos. They both have really good episodes, and this is a good showing for Axe Woves. We get to see why he was the one that was leading when Bo wasn't, mm-hmm. because he is smart. He is very yeah. good under fire. When so things are quick, he's good calling audibles, and he's smart. He's able to make decisions here without even having to ask Bo, just knowing mm-hmm. what would be it, something for the greater good. And he he's very willing he, to sacrifice himself. He doesn't have to yeah. when it's all said and done, but he he is willing to do that, and he is in a situation where he is actually drive, flying a ship down towards yeah. Moff Gideon's base, and and he has a pivotal role in this so yeah. shout out to axe r5 the armorer all coming through with big episodes here yeah axe was a really uh he was a delight he was this uh, like i was really glad to see what they did with him and they didn't just make him some side character or some somebody that was in the way of bo katan uh and then what when they didn't reveal him to be you know the spy uh, the, the second spy, there was no plural. There shouldn't have been a plural there on the last uh, title, by the way. I know. That was Just such a red herring, confusing thing. Just call it the spy. What is your deal? Uh, yeah. But anyway, like, badass. You, you talk about how he's piloting the, the ship down. I mean, we're talking perpendicular. He he smashed the, uh, that that um, Imperial starship, like, directly into uh, Moff Gideon's base. And it was, it was badass at, at the end of it. And the way he flew out with his jetpack at the end. I mean, that was some harrowing, exciting stuff. The way that it was all cut together, and you you talked about it before. Some of the shots that they did to to the aerial to express stuff that the, the was insane. The, the jetpack coverage, all that stuff. It was definitely inspired by Iron Man and you know GoPro videos, wingsuit stuff. Like I loved, loved, loved what they did with that, uh, and it was edited incredibly well with amazing music. And yeah, just going back to to acts like they they fleshed him out a little bit and they made him a worthwhile character where I was like, okay, I feel like I kind of know this guy now at the end of the season. Uh, they didn't really do too much with it, but we, we had some great stuff there. He had his fight with Paz Vizsla. He, sh- he showed that he was a little bit um, prejudiced against the other Mandalorians, mm-hmm. uh, followed the way. Uh, we also got that one line about how he was there during the fall of Mandalore. So we, we know he has this backstory, this haunted backstory of going through that uh, I, I would love to see you know him in the next season and see where they go with it because he seems to be a really cool character and uh, they really paid him off pretty well. I agree. They're gonna and I I don't know where a lot of these these stories might be told, but there's more to be told with him and with Bo and with the group this group oh, yeah. now, right? Because we feel like we're kind of splitting up a little bit now at the end, where we mm-hmm. may be going back to more adventures of Din and Grogu, but. I think they're using a lot of these series to set up the future projects, right? Like they did the same thing yeah. with Ahsoka in season two. You know, they yeah. set up the Ahsoka project by giving us an Ahsoka episode or two. Um, mm-hmm. I think it might have been a little Bo Katan heavy for people this season that weren't expecting it, but I, I like Bo. I like the character, and I think there's still a lot to be told with her as this chosen one leading yeah. the group of people. There's so many, like, like, um, mythical, religious ties, mm-hmm. right? You think of just all these different um, ideas or stories that have been told of the, uh, you know, the the one that unites, and mm-hmm. and maybe that's Bo, maybe that's Grogu as the Mandalorian. But there's a lot to tell mm-hmm. without Din and Grogu. I just don't. I right. want it on a different show or a different right, movie, right. right? That's it. Like I just don't want it. I'm back glad you said place. that. I want you just said I, movie. 
right? <laughs> and uh, like, Dave Filoni just announced he's going to make that movie. And so that's perfect. Give me – I understand when you have to introduce things here. This is a very Marvel way of doing it, right? This is a very <laughs> MCU way of doing it, introducing someone oh, and yeah. the next character at in, in a different show or a different movie. But they would do it sort of at the end kind of well. Mm-hmm. And I think it flowed pretty better, especially in those early stages of the MCU when they were introducing yeah. a lot of characters in in these last few Star Wars projects. Like it was good. It was some of the best episodes, but putting the Mandalorian in Boba Fett felt a little bit off, like the way the way it was done. And Big time. so we did it again here now with the episode with Dr. Pershing with a lot of the Bo story. Heck, half of this season felt like we were in Bo's perspective. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there were people who talked about, and you just kind of touched on it now, like, who is the Mandalorian in the story? You know, is it is it Din? Uh, it seems like that they drifted away from that for a while. People speculated, is it Grogu? This season, it definitely felt like it was it was Bo-Katan, or, or at least it's the Mandalorian, you know, race, uh, the, the, the people of Mandalore, um, the Mandalorian people. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, it could go, it could go any way, but yeah. So Bo and the Mandalorians have a, a kind of standoff and they're battling in the caves with some of these troopers as they're trying to get out and they do make it out. We'll say that these, these are a little bit more, you know, heavily armored troopers with best car, a little better trained. They really only had two guards holding Din you know, taking care of Din. So he's able to um, pretty quickly get control of them. There was this cool sequence where one guy, one of the troopers is using their flame on Din. He gets sort of engulfed in the really quickly, but then he turns the, he turns the guy's own flame on himself. And he's, he's torching the trooper with his own like flame, which I thought was really badass. as, and it was a, a cool hallway fight too, which has become a we hallmark. Got to have a few hallway media and action. Yeah, this was Post a John Wick, Star Wars feeling episode too. Yeah, with Din and Grogu creeping around corners in Moff Gideon's yeah. base, with R five peeking his head out around the corners. Right, this felt like mouse droids. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, this felt like early Star Wars stuff where you've got. You know, Obi-Wan creeping around and hiding behind doors and here and there. And um, you did get a lot of Star Wars feel and vibes. And again, I sound like totally conflicting because I really like this episode. Like, I like the last episode yeah. a lot. Um, it just didn't put the perfect bow on the full season as I would have liked. And it just reminded me of some some mm-hmm. of my gripes throughout. But I, I think this last episode, the pr- big problem with it, it's not really stuff that happened in this episode. It's more like what you touched on of like what happened before. So that now that this is the, you know, the wrapping up of everything and that, you know, the resolution, because the setup wasn't that good, the, the, you know, when, the payoff can't be that great. So they did no. such a great job on these episodes, but there's just, it paid off a story that they didn't set up that well. And that, that goes back to the choice of putting, Din in Boba Fett and the it, mm-hmm. like imagine imagine Din starts this season he's still separated from Grogu and they and gotta the find each the other season and the end of the season they end exactly the same way 
that feels more like an arc. Like the first like we, part of the season, you can spend places. them getting back together. Yeah, it feels like you more more stuff happened. You're right. Like there was if we had to if we got to live in that reality of like of Din and Grogu missing each other, we would miss that. So that by the end, when the, you know that's that circle wipe around them, that would feel so much better. But for some reason, they decided to kind of chop it up and move it around into Boba Fett in this weird, awkward kind of like like lack of a payoff kind of a format. But these episodes, to to your point, were really good. Like, yeah. like six and seven or seven and eight, bell. like the last two back to back but, after yeah. a week episode six. The last two were really good. It it's it frustrates you for that reason and, <laughs> and even for one more because it just shows you as a father now, mm. I don't ex I don't expect my son to be able to like write a book, right? Like right. but I get frustrated when there are things that he can do that he doesn't do. When we mm. know what Star Wars and Marvel can do when they're at their best. Mm. Right and, right, and that's why we get a little bit frustrated because we see the difference between an episode six and an episode seven and eight when they really yeah. put a little a little back put their back into it and then <laughs> when when you you feel like you feel the holes after it's like damn that was that was a good way to end it couldn't we have like filled in the gaps a little bit better yeah. along the way so Grogu for uh, one of the two or three times in this episode saves Din as a couple of the troopers are uh, gaining advantage on Din, but here comes IG-12. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Jumping in. And what's great is um, after Grogu saves him this first time, he tries to use the Bacta, like the healing spray yes. on Just Din. Spray but, but he's spraying <laughs> his armor, you know? Like, he, yeah, yeah. he would need to spray him if the helmet came off, and it was... <laughs> It was just so funny. It's like what a kid would do, right? Like it's like, yeah. oh, I got this new toy. I don't know how to control it. Um, it yep. really made me laugh. And then we get one of of the first of a few just incredibly moving interactions between Din and Grogu, and yeah. it just goes to show you how fantastic Pedro Pascal is as an actor because we can't mm -hmm. see this guy. We can't yeah. see his face at all, and. I feel like I want to cry when he like he wells up in his voice and he says, uh, uh, "I'm okay, I'm okay, help me up." Oh, and he <laughs> says, uh, "Well, you cut me loose and grow and Grogu in IG12 says, yes." And <laughs> Din says, "Thank you for your help, Grogu. I'm going to need you to be brave for me, okay? We can't keep running and." Grogu will keep like respond ah okay like he's just like little noises yeah. back and forth to him and Grogu's sitting in IG12 and then we hear the real flute theme music of the Mandalorian picking it up in the back just really yeah. starting to pick up he says we can't keep running if we don't take out Moff Gideon this will never end I'm gonna need you to be brave for me okay are you with me and Grogu looks at him and, and smiles and man, just a beautiful moment. Like yeah. I, this relationship between these two is so much magic. Like yeah. you can't recreate this type of thing. And I, if you could, every single show on TV ever would try to, right? Yeah, yeah. You can create relationships and things that, that feel forced though. This does it with these two. They've, they, 
everything about these two and and in the last episode is I felt like what I was missing a lot of this year and it was interactions just like this where you get to see them now become a father and son by the end of this episode. Yeah, and I love this moment too where it just it feels for the audience like okay, this is the turning point. This is the this ends here moment and we know the stage is set for this, you know, big showdown and uh, like ostensibly, you know, we do get some resolution there, although we're dealing with clones and we're dealing with, you know, you know, the possibility that, you know, the dead might not stay dead here, but it feels at this moment, like they're setting up a very final battle and, and a, and a face off between, you know, our, our main guys. So, uh, we check back in and that's what we'll be doing now for the final half of this episode. We have a, a couple different things happening. We have Din and Grogu, trying to find Moff Gideon. So they're making their way through the Moff Gideon's base, trying to get to him. We have Bo and the armorer. Now they're going to be, they're going to be battling with the troopers. They're going to be leading the Mandalorians to try to take back Mandalore. We're going to, we'll cut back in with Axe Woves, who's going to make his way up to the fleet. And he's going to have to be the one to pilot this huge ship to try to blow up Moff Gideon's base. So we check back in, a lot and the pace yeah. of this episode is fast right it's yeah like we are flying a lot of cross cutting like, yep back and back yeah. and back and and in it makes you it's an anxious feeling in a good way right you feel mm -hmm. the you feel the importance of everything that you're cutting back and back and back to and i'll at least mention i never thought this and i didn't hear too mm -hmm. much about this until after but there was a there was a pretty big rumor going around that this might be it for Pedro Pascal in the show that which yeah, I yeah. couldn't believe. So there were some people that thought he could maybe die in this episode of, of the last you know episode of the season. Uh, so mm -hmm. I think for some that maybe thought that you were probably even more anxious with a lot of these moments thinking it could be it for him. Yeah, it definitely added a, a, a sense of uh, a weight, a little bit of gravitas to the moment uh, just because you know, you feel like maybe our main character could could go out here and that, that you never get that feeling on a TV show. But you want that. Honestly, you want those stakes always. Uh, and Stark, the shows, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. The show set this, the, the, the table for it with, you know, kind of what we touched on before, how there's multiple Mandalorians. The sh we, we know that the show can still go on without him. And so that, you know, creates that question mark there in our minds as, as viewers of, you know, could this be the last time we see this character? And we're invested. We don't want him to die. We want a happy ending for him. Uh, so there, there were stakes that were honestly felt throughout this, this episode, which is great because uh, that's something that's often missing from a TV show where you know there's going to be another season. So Din is able to radio to Bo. They communicate with each other, and he lets her know he's going to, to find Moff Gideon. Bo's getting the troops to safety. And the Mandalorians are able to make it out of the, the caves, but they're quickly followed by these TIE fighters. Man, what oh, a cool, what yes. a cool little scene with the TIE fighters hanging upside okay. down like bats. bats. Yeah. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. seeing them deployed and how cool it is because yeah. like why they hang like the bats. Cause then they just drop down and they're, they go. It's like why you yeah. back into a parking spot. Right. Because mm -hmm. then you yeah. just can pull right out right away when you want to go. Um, it, this was awesome. 
Like it's a small mm-hmm. little thing, but visually this looks fantastic watching them drop down and then just go and then seeing these tie fighters in the air mm-hmm. with battling against the the Mandalorians as they're flying with their jetpacks and and even yeah. seeing what Axe Woves does here, he kind of he throws off all of their scent. He has mm-hmm. all of the, the Mandalorians evacuate from the main huge kind of carrier ship and the mm-hmm. fleet all breaks up into smaller ships. So that way, when the TIE fighters come to attack the big ship, there's only one person in there and it's Axe. Yeah. There's nobody yeah, else. So, he's willing to go down them. with the ship. Yeah, which is which is a great character moment for him. We know he's he doesn't end up sacrificing himself, but we know he's willing to sacrifice himself. Those uh, are the best great, sacrifices. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, that sequence is incredible for so many reasons. You you touched on the the Tie Fighters taken off, which that that image I love those images that just get burned in your brain right away, and that that's one of them that uh, I'm grateful for. Uh, another one it, you kind of touched on as well, but like all the Mandalorians. Um, you know, going from that main ship to the smaller ships, the the image of that was incredible. And it was like, it reminded me of um, like special forces going out of a, a, a plane, like all together, Absolutely. like uh, airborne, airborne Rangers, like yes. when they all like on that line and like one by one, just, just go out the jetpack action. I said it before, I'll say it again. Like they, they could call this show the jetpack show and really? I still watch it because I, I mean, it's one of the main, appeals of the whole mandalorian aesthetic is they got jetpacks in this thing man you like the movie the rocketeer well how about like 20 rocketeers on screen all at the same time fighting guys and tie fighters and like like let's do it man i i loved it like aesthetically the way they shot it just the the action of it all like paid off so much and jetpacks are always going to be cool i'll take that uh with me forever when you when you get to see how like bow and axe use the jetpacks as part of their <laughs> like their fighting how they can like take mm-hmm. two steps run jump and then like propel themselves and thrust into yeah. oh like that is just awesome like goosebumps type stuff that you get to see just compare like compare the fight for as much as we will have gripes and some mm-hmm. complaints about things here and there you know complain like, Compare the fight sequences and some of the choreography that we've seen, like in this show or in an Andor mm-hmm. or in an Obi Wan, to the early Star Wars. You know, like yeah. where the stormtroopers yeah. just get pushed off, or poor Boba Fett is just quickly disposed of. We get some really mm-hmm. epic battles now. Um, yeah, and I will. I'll, I'll say this though before we go disparaging the original trilogy. I, I watched the the original Star Wars, just the opening sequence of it the other day and i was it's just dis- blown hits, away man. by by it how hits. good it is it hits it Thank hits dude the, the editing the tension of like when darth vader's about to board and it feel, it feels visceral it feels like you're right there like over the shoulder with these with these soldiers on on board uh like there's something just really weighty and and it timeless about it and in my head, I'd almost built it up as more hokey than it really was. Like, it's a, Dude, it's I a agree film. with you. It's, it's a great it, classic film. It really holds up well. It is yeah. well done. It's not as goofy or, like, um, campy as we may think, right? Like, I, right. like graphics is mainly what I was talking about there, right? Like the, and the, and the fight how, choreography was, yeah, was like not how, as complicated how much or we've impressive. Grown. But as far mm-hmm. as, like, as a movie as a whole – 
dude, I don't have very much bad to say about that tr- no. early trilogy. Like all of the trilogy, Jedi, <laughs> Jedi, like you can you can pick some stuff, <laughs> but people talk about The Empire Strikes Back as the best sequel movie ever. Yeah, like the best number yeah. two movie. So, um, and here we are with Mandalorians, jetpacks, blasters, dark sabers, the armor with tongs, all flying through the air. Uh, really cool stuff. We get to check back in at Moff Gideon's base as he's starting to get frustrated as he has been informed that the the fighters and the bombers have been launched, but Din has escaped. He said he's going to take care of him myself. So now we have Moff Gideon looking for Din. Din, Grogu, IG-12, they're looking for Moff Gideon, and they are able to connect with R5. Din radios to R5. He says, come in. And... You can hear at this point, Din is wounded, you know, a little bit. He's had a couple mm-hmm. different battles, and he does such a great job, Pedro Pascal, of, like, just, you can hear it in his voice a little bit when he's yeah. talking. R5, come in. I need you, buddy. You know, like, he's just really yeah. emotional here, too. Like, super more emotional. You're going to have to scomp mm-hmm. in the base and get me the location of Moff Gideon's command center. And R5, says something back, he's... <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't speak binary, which just yeah. made me laugh. Just made me laugh. I'm counting yeah. on you. So R5, he hacks in, and then R5 flies down into Moth Gideon's base, and all of a sudden, it's like a flip is switch. <laughs> and this is like, yeah. the, like the most scaredy cat of a droid that you've ever seen, and he's like the most badass droid ever. But but they do good because he's yeah. not he's not tough. He's just completing his tasks while, by, while while being scared and like, ah, you know, screaming and making little noises all throughout. Like, yeah. really good stuff from R5. I feel like they sh- they'll be able to sell a lot of toys out of this series, right? Just like, and, and that's the goal with a lot of these you know, Star Wars properties, right? too. I mean, that, I mean, I just called it a property. Uh, it's, yeah, uh, it is. <laughs> it, it's notor- no, Star Wars is probably the most notorious merchandising IP of all time. I think it oh, almost yeah. like created an industry or, uh, around, uh, you know, monetizing IP in a way that didn't quite exist before Star Wars did. R5, you are an all-star, my friend. Um, <laughs> Din, you know, good job, buddy. That's the command center, communication logs. That's where he operates from. That's where we're going. Ready. Okay. So Din is directing R5 and R5 is Awesome. He is doing everything that Din asks, and he's doing it quickly, and he's getting it done. Check back in with Axe. He's made it back to the fleet, and he directs everyone. Load the gauntlets, send all the available troops down as reinforcements, leave the capital ship behind as a decoy. I'll take care of the cruiser. Everyone go. Move, move, move. Load everyone onto the ships. So this is his moment to be a hero. He stays in the big, big old Imperial ship to, to lure off the fighters mm-hmm. willing to sacrifice himself buying time for the other Mandalorians, the rest of the fleet to provide backup and to get to Bo, to get to Din, to get down to Moff Gideon. So really good, good moment, really good episode for Axe where he gets to show how incredible he is in battle and, that's what yeah. we see about these Mandalorians, right? When when they get dropped in for battle, some of them we can see their faces, others we can't. 
but we don't get the sense that any one of them is scared in here. This is what they've been trained for. This is their moment. Yeah. They are they are soldiers, quote unquote. Yeah. So it is cool because you get the sense of pride from a lot of them. Like, oh, great. We mm-hmm. like some of them haven't been in a real battle, right? They're sort of like right. the new age Mandalorians training on a beach. They haven't been here, right. but but they want this. This is in their blood. This is the way. Yeah, they're a warrior culture. And uh, I feel like they're very much inspired by um, two cultures. In my mind, I see like um, the, the Jews of Israel and I see uh, the Spartans. I feel like Absolutely. they're kind of like a, a combination of those two Dude, that uh, was cultures. really well done. And, and, they, and those are two totally different cultures, too, right? Mm-hmm. For different, yeah. totally different reasons, we see inspiration in the Mandalorians, in the the way they fight, like you said, you get this gladiator feel, right? Yeah. Like, it, like even Roman Colosseum type, you know, fight for your life. But then on the other yeah. side, you get this feel of these people who have been so persecuted, just st- yeah. stricken from their land for no reason. Exactly. Really good, uh, really good um, tidbits there, TK. I like what, like where you were going. We check back in. To Din with Din and Grogu and R five man, he deactivates each one of these laser shields one at a time, and yeah. each time there's two more troopers waiting on this thin raised platform behind each barrier, and R five yes. just on cue doing what Din asks. R five, there's some barrier shields. I'm gonna need you to deactivate them one at a time on my command. Got it? And it again, they can do. Mm-hmm. Such a great job of having Din communicate with droids. Like, think about this. We're watching a guy that we can't even see his face. We don't see anything he's he can, like, nothing yeah. about him. And he's communicating with Grogu and R5. And, yeah. but, like, and we can, but we totally understand what they're saying based on beeps and back and forth. And, like, we get it. It's It's incredible to be able to set something up so well for all the gripes mm-hmm. that we have to to hear the beeps and we know what R2 or R5 or IG11 is saying based on their beep. We feel it. Um, I just think that's really, really cool to watch this and to see R5 and, and Din and Grogu all together. Din is yeah. fighting with what's called an electro staff and we've seen this before, TK. It's not a mm-hmm. lightsaber has a lot of feel to a lightsaber. It's more of like a bad guy lightsaber that they that they right. use. And we, we a lot of electro staffs in the last part of this episode. Yeah, and I think, uh, so where do we see them? I think the Praetorian Guards have them, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. And then we also saw them in the prequel uh, with General Grievous and his guards, yes. right? Yep, yep. So that's at the very end. Some of, some of these troopers, uh, Gideon has one. As well, um, so we see in a couple of the battles, Din getting to use uh, one yeah. or having it used against him, even at uh, at times. The man th- that is something that, for even my gripes with this show and some of the others, the visual of Din at this moment with the laser <laughs> shields coming yeah. down and jumping, like Badass. that's one that <laughs> man. It, when I stop one day and when we do like a one day we do an episode that's like some of the best fight scenes or sequences or that's oh yeah on that's the list because that's just one of those memorable ones that like was so cool visually um the mm-hmm. choreography was great and and then all of a sudden 
as this is happening, these mouse droids all come upon R5. And so yeah. R5 gets sort of stuck for a second as man as Din is asking him, R5, next shield. R5, yeah. next shield. These mouse droids come up. First, there's one of them. R5 zaps them. And, yeah. and then a group of them comes out. And man, I got to say, just like when I was watching this episode, every time Din said, R5, next shield. Like, I was freaking in it, man. Like, I really yeah. was. Like, I was really in this part. This this part, I loved I loved it. And you see R5, he, you know, he takes a few of these mouse droids out, and he zaps the, the mouse droid. And then one of these that he opens, he opens the barrier, the shield deactivates, and Din goes sliding in on his knees like he's the freaking scarer at Knott's Halloween haunt. The guys that come running at you and they're shaking the yeah. stuff. It was like all of, so cool. He's on his knees and just like just slicing these next two guards. Um, yeah. Finally, he's able to make it through. And our guy, R5, fights off all the mouse droids and, and he flies off. But man. He blows a mouse droid off the edge too when he does it. That's oh, a yeah, great he pushes, little detail. Pushes one yeah. off. Yeah. The last part when he's just the, the the knee the the sliding on the knee one just popped me mm-hmm. too because I I used to do when when on Halloween I would dress up I love Halloween and we would dress up and scare people that would try to come to the house sometime and I thought I was like oh man I'm gonna be just like the people from Knots I was like seventh grade and I just been <laughs> to Knots Scary Farm so I'd set up like a costume I had knee pads I had a can with a shaker. So I could run and slide when people would come down my street nice. and scare them. And of course it was just awful. You know, I was not, <laughs> not the production quality was not good there, TK, but I it reminded me of this uh quite a bit. And what a cool freaking scene. And yeah. again, Axe in the last few episodes, pause, Axe R5. You guys have earned your stripes. Very well done. Pulling your weight here. As Din opens a big door. Um, got it. Got to say though, when he says R five, good job, buddy. You feel it. You feel yeah. it in your heart. <laughs> it's like daddy says thank you there. Like that that one hit home. But and he doesn't know, like droids too. That's that's a character moment. You know that's that shows like a little bit of progress for him. Some some more. Uh, he, he's not he's not just staying the same old Din. You know throughout yes. the series, I like that. He he wouldn't be like from what we know of Din. He's mm-hmm. an honest very respectable like honorable guy it wouldn't make sense for din to keep hating on droids after having good interactions with droids right like they have to prove themselves like anyone right you got to prove yourself you have to earn trust but now between ig12 ig11 um and this r5 here like droids have saved his life a few different times so you can understand how he's he's warming up to them a little bit exactly he opens a door and it's filled with tanks of clones and they're clones of moff gideon and when um you kind of look around at what look like all these you know back the tanks where you have um basically different clones of moff gideon being created being cultivated in you know we've seen different um different shots like this in star Wars with a lot of the cloning stuff they have. But the moment when one of them opened his eyes 
And that was like a horror yeah. movie pop kind yeah. of scare. Because I didn't th- think that was coming. When, yeah. we've, when we've been in a lot of these rooms with a lot of these clones, mo- I can't recall. I mean, most of the time you kind of walk through, you see them all. Um, I wasn't expecting the eyes to open and us to get a little bit of a, a chase. But yeah. th- that was cool. And this was information that we didn't know. We we knew Moff Gideon was involved with cloning, was trying to create these quote-unquote super trooper type um, mm-hmm. the warriors, but we didn't know he was cloning himself. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, we learned a little bit more about it later. He does his, you know, the, the, the classic cliche villain, like I'm going to explain all my motivations. Let me tell now. you why. <laughs> Let me tell you exactly what I had in mind. And but, give um, you just yeah. enough time to stop me. You know? <laughs> right. Right. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that was an interesting twist. I thought it kind of, um, I don't know if it undid some of the progress it was making towards connecting to the sequel uh, trilogy. It, it kind of felt like it was it was going towards connecting, and then that kind of uh, the way they ended it petered off and and uh, mm-hmm. kind of a dead I end there. Uh, but still, perhaps connects in some ways. It's just going to have to branch off uh, a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that that was an interesting twist, and I, I did like Moff Gideon's motivations that were revealed later, and I thought that that was consistent with his character, and yes. it made sense why he would want to do that. And I'm kind of hoping he was successful. I mean, we can get to that later, but I'm kind of hoping that you know it's not the end of his story, and we actually there's maybe a, a clone that did take uh, or, that wasn't in this facility. Or I had heard on a different, um, you know, I think of either a video or something. Mm-hmm. Was this even the real Moff Gideon? Right. Yeah. Was there's... this a clone? Is there another exactly. Moff Gideon out there somewhere? So whenever there are clones, we feel like, especially when it's an actor like Giancarlo Espelizo, who's a big actor, yes. uh, you feel like yeah. it may not be the end for him. And kind of the way they set him up as being the big bad again in this season, mm-hmm. you feel like maybe maybe this is kind of like a running theme for this show. Um, mm-hmm. It's sort of like that fight between Peter Griffin and the and the chicken. You know, <laughs> really like just, just keep going and going. It just, it just never yeah. ends, you know. Um, as a viewer, as you know, my my preference, I'm hoping and uh, I'm hoping that this was the real Moff Gideon for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but, you know, if, you know, Moff Gideon dies in this episode, if that, if that's not the real Moff Gideon, there's that whole ramification of like, are there stakes in this series? Are deaths permanent? You know, does it even really matter if somebody dies? So I want that to be the real Moff Gideon for that reason. But also because I think it would be really cool to explore a clone of Moff Gideon who was the fully realized, um, you know, idea that Moff Gideon had where he's incorporating the Force. So now we have a clone of Moff Gideon with the Force. So it's a more powerful version of Moff Gideon. Maybe he has the memories of Moff Gideon up until a certain point. I'm not sure how exactly that would work, but we've seen that kind of play out recently. Spoiler alert for the movie Avatar Way of the Water, but I really liked how they extended the life of the main villain in the first Avatar by cloning him essentially as an Avatar version of himself with his memories in the second version. That creates all this new layer of of um, conflict and, you know, interest with his character, you know, could that character end up being good or have his own, you know, uh, journey there? It's, it's interesting to just explore the idea of like the, the personality of a clone with like implanted memories. Like that's just interesting on, on its surface, but also it brings back Moff Gideon without 
bringing back the actual Moff Gideon. So the stakes are still there where that Moff Gideon's dead, but we as the audience still get a heightened version of Moff Gideon and we get to party with Giancarlo Esposito for another season or two. So Bo and um, the and a small group of Mandalorians are led by the local survivors that they met a few weeks ago to this low to this cave. Um, they said there's a surface cave where they've taken refuge and they hide out. And what's kind of amazing about this cave at the, the bottom of Mandalore, they've been able to create some some plant life here. They planted farms and we see greenery. Actually, Bo-Katan is like shocked. She hasn't seen yeah. something like this. She said, I've, n- I've only seen gardens in the domed cities. I never knew the surface could still sustain plant life. And one of the, the locals who I think they refer to as the captain says, the old species indigenous to Mandalore um, have been dormant since before the centuries of civil war. Once the planet, the planet was abandoned, they sprouted in spots. We cultivated farms. Life persists. This is really big mm-hmm. on multiple meanings for them because mm-hmm. for them as a Mandalorian people, they now life will go on for them. It, the, their people are home and just seeing that this planet can grow and and nourish um, it, there was a lot of symbolism here in, in that I think we have sort of Din, um, where we have Bo leading this new Mandalore and getting the opportunity to just, there's so much in growth, right. In mm-hmm. sprouting in plant life and just the ability to have like in all the symbolism, what this means for Mandalore, it wasn't a long scene. It was just quick, but it was very important. Mm-hmm. I think in the, in telling us that this planet is not cursed anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's primed for a rebirth, uh, rebirth of the Mandalorian people, uh, rebirth of this planet as a whole. And uh, I love the Ian Malcolm uh, shout out there, the little reference to Jurassic Park. Or well, I feel like they were actually trying to steer away from that. Life uh, finds a way, um, <laughs> but they switched it to persist. They just paraphrased here, but uh, we all know what they meant. Love me some Ian Malkin, man, though. Yeah. <laughs> so the armorer has some backup. The armorer and the rest of the Mandalorians, they are ready to fight. She radios to Bo, and they've got backup. Lady Kreese, your reinforcements have arrived. Hmm. Let's take back our planet. Led by Bo Katan with the Darksaber. The Mandalorians are flying around Bo and the Armorer side by side, which is again symbolic. The two separate sides of Mandalore, right. the two completely different factions that were warring. That was the the problem, the biggest problem Mandalorians had themselves. They were mm-hmm. always at war with themselves. And now they are united, flying together with led by the Darksaber and the Tongs of the Armorer, like the two things that represent their their factions leading them. Um, just really, really cool as Bo ignites yeah. the Darksaber and they all follow uh, these aerial battles with the Mandalorians and the troopers fighting right at each other, flying right at each other as we cut back to Din and Grogu continuing to search for Gideon so this is really when everything, the pace, the last 15 minutes or so of this episode were, were flying around with these jump yeah. cuts, like you said, back and forth. Din and Grogu, as they search for Gideon, his voice 
comes up and they are locked now inside Gideon's control panel. And here we get the moth giving us <laughs> that great bad guy speech as you referenced. My clones were finally going to be perfect, the best parts of me, but improved by adding the one thing I never had, the force. I was isolating the potential to wield the force, incorporating it into an unstoppable armory, and then you smothered them before they could draw their first breath. Gideon fires off a missile that just goes right by Grogu, and Grogu's, ah! He yelps. Like, I was like, yeah, that was a little too close yeah. for comfort there, Gideon. You watch your, you watch your ass as he suits up in the full dark trooper armor and he's able to just kind of toss Din to the side with ease. Din keeps fighting, doing his best, but out come the three Praetorian guards who have a major three on one advantage. Mm-hmm. So actually it's four on one. Cause it's the three of them and, and Gideon. Yeah. And it looks for a moment. Like times are, are not good for Din until he's saved once again. By Grogu in IG-12. No, 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 no. <laughs> and, and Grogu basically just causes a distraction here, right? For the guards to to run after him, leaving Gideon and Din to continue one-on-one. But what that does, Tim, is it puts Grogu in a room yeah. alone with these three Praetorian guards chasing after him. Yeah. And uh, he does surprisingly well. I mean, I, we know we've seen his power before, so I shouldn't say surprising. But uh, I mean, it, it's it's just interesting to watch uh, and and cute and funny and kind of silly and harrowing all at the same time to watch all him. You know, you know, yeah, which it's I really so, liked it. Me too. It yeah. gets, he's just jumping and flipping, right? Yeah. And it doesn't even like it's. But we love Grogu so much. It. Yeah. It is great. He's in with IG-12 with the three Praetorian guards locked in a room outside Din and Moff Gideon battle. And as uh, it looks like Gideon has the main advantage on Din, we cut to the armor who is just badass with the tongs. Bo-Katan kicking ass. We quickly cut to Grogu who's jumping and eluding these guards as they swing at Grogu with electro staffs, like they they're swinging at him. Um, Gideon and Din continue the one on one, but the armor and the suit that Gideon has, it just it keeps giving him an advantage, even though he is not necessarily the greatest fighter we've seen. It's it's the tools that he wields, right? But but Bo, Bo saves the day. She flies in, kind of tackles Gideon, and she tells Din. I've got this. Go save your kid. So now we're, our blocking is going to be a little different because we have Din going to help Grogu, and we have the one-on-one battle that we were expecting we were going to get between Bo and Moff Gideon. Mm-hmm. Gideon ignites a double electro staff here, and Bo gets out the dark saber, and they have a standoff and get ready to battle. Quick cut to Grogu. He keeps avoiding those Praetorian guards. He keeps jumping and and um, flipping, but it looks Michael like he's, looks like he's trapped. TK, uh, mm-hmm. there are like a couple uh, big poles that fall, and he's he's not able to push them up because he's so tiny. But Din breaks through and saves Grogu just as it looks like the Praetorian guards were about to get him. And this this next scene. Mm-hmm. No hyperbole for me. I love these two. 
I love like I love this show, even though it sounded like we've been critical. This is one of my favorite scenes of Star Wars, honestly, when the two of them are fighting together and Mm -hmm. Grogu is using the force to stop the guards and then Din will use the blade or will use something to take one of them out and seeing the two of them as a team. It just warmed my freaking heart so much. I just loved it. I've got flashes of me and Milo years down the line, Tim, <laughs> you know, in a battle where we may need some help. So we're going to call in <laughs> Connor to come and help us out. And we've got all these dads and we'll sons standing side by side. <laughs> I just, man, it, I like my jetpack. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Give me a jetpack. Give me a blaster. Um, this, <laughs> this makes me like all. All of us nowadays are so much used to really great stories in movies and in television and just high-level story arcs and production value and stuff. But, man, like just something simple like this, like these two characters, when they have moments like this, there's so few things on TV that make me feel as like Mm -hmm. just wanting to smile as I do when I watch these two. And it's corny, I know, but – Man, they they really do a great job with this because I I loved I loved this scene and getting to see Grogu using the Force and Din taking them out and this like the teamwork between them together I uh, I thought it was great and you know yeah. at the end he even says to him you did good kid and it's just <laughs> like man Thanks, it gets pa. Me. I know <laughs> yeah. it just it just gets me there um, again just quick cuts to Bo. And Gideon mm-hmm. fighting, quick cuts to the armor and the other Mandalorians in the air. And Axe warns Bo-Katan, I'm coming. I'm going to crash right now. I'm going to drive this huge former Imperial ship right into Moff Gideon's base and yeah. blow this thing straight up. This is uh, Independence Day, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Except which, the exact opposite. Instead of going straight up, up yeah, he's going down. straight down. I mean, perpendicular, 90 degrees into the ground. Yep. Hello, boys. I'm back. <laughs> you just loved that scene. Some Mandalorian um, kamikaze. Yeah, yeah. As Bo is struggling, Moff Gideon has the advantage, but Bo's never going to give up. She keeps fighting valiantly, and Moff Gideon tells her to hand over the dark saber. I'll give you a warrior's death. The dark and uh, they they're fighting, struggling over the dark saber, and then. Moff Gideon's able to just crush it. Like, just kind of, it was kind of anticlimactic, right? Yeah. The way it went down. Yes, big time. Like that, that's my own, I don't even have a problem with it being crushed or destroyed. I have no problem <laughs> with that. It just <laughs> seemed like it was like, wouldn't that have happened like 15 times already? I, yeah, th- there are so many reasons why that just didn't feel right. But I, I think it was part partly to do with the reaction in the moment. Like there was nothing like to me that uh, really sold the importance of it. We just had to kind of like project importance onto it based on needed, a few things that were said in the past. We yeah, need to watch Rebels and like <laughs> like Clone Wars and stuff, I think. Yeah, well, but, well, sorry, what we, we needed that? was <laughs> we needed uh, this to be in front of some of the other Mandalorians and see mm. them, right? And see them react like it was a big deal. Yeah, and that would have done something. Yeah. And then Bo can have her next line that she that she says, 
No, right. you know, it's not it's not that way anymore. Because Moff Gideon yeah. doesn't understand that these two warring factions now are really together. And so some of the things mm-hmm. that were important to them aren't quite as important. We we just needed to see yeah. Bo tell some of the other Mandalorians or ease ease their their pain, their struggle. Oh my god, the Darksaber is gone. What happened? And Bo let him know we don't need that anymore. Or even Din, there needed to be a moment where he said, Look, that that didn't matter to our people. To right. our people, Bo is the leader. Something like that, because I completely agree with you. This moment and the moment of the Darksaber handoff two episodes earlier at season yeah. six, those are moments that were supposed to be way bigger than they played out mm-hmm. on, on the show. And it just didn't it just didn't feel like a big moment at all. You're right. And it communicated that it was a big moment, but we just didn't feel it as an audience. I'm not 100 percent sure why that is, but it had to do, I think, something with not seeing enough on screen in this series. Uh, Like we can't count anything that happened in Clone Wars or Rebels. I, you know, full disclosure, have not seen those shows. No, and (laughs) a lot of people, but not Rebels. And I saw Clone Wars a while ago, too. Right. So nobody is exp- that's that's the thing we can't be expected to have watched clone wars all as a prerequisite and know everything there you've got to right. reintroduce this stuff to us here in live action better and yeah and there the, just wasn't enough there there uh, for no. yeah, that's the best way i could put it there just wasn't enough stuff that we didn't live enough in that conflict to see why it was so important and how it was affecting people uh we didn't see enough of the effect that the dark saber had over people or like why people followed the person who wielded the dark saber or any of that. We just kind of were informed that that was the case, but we weren't really showed enough of it to really feel like it was important or to make it real to us. Uh, any of the conflict, any of the big changes, it's kind of like we were just told the cliff notes of the story instead of actually really feeling, you know, all, all these major shifts uh, to their it, culture, to these characters. It reminds me a little bit of, um, I, I mention this quite often, and those of you who are listening to this show, you know I'm a big wrestling fan. There are two like major wrestling companies right now. I mean, one, WWE has always been head and shoulders above everybody else. There's been a, a new wrestling company the last few years called AEW, All Elite Wrestling, right. that has popped up on on – they have shows on Wednesday nights, and it's a good product. It's like the the – cl- as close to – it's the best that anyone has ever done trying to be – you know, a, another big wrestling promotion. But one thing that they do, the the owner of the company is like a hardcore wrestling fan. He he is like, he has grown up as a wrestling fan, how you and I are with Star Wars and MCU. Mm-hmm. And so basically one of the problems they have as a company is they do a lot of what the Mandalorian season three did. They expect you to watch uh-huh. everything <laughs> else of all of these other companies, of all these small companies, of stuff that's going on mm. in Japan and in Mexico, and and but and so they will bring in these re- like really popular or really great wrestlers, but none of us know their stories. We don't know right. anything about them. We know that they can get in the ring and be awesome and and have some cool move sets and be flipping around and flying around aerial battles like we're talking here, but we don't know their story. We don't know why. And you need to know a little bit about them to care about yeah. them, to care more about their matches. Otherwise, it just becomes like you're watching yeah. – you're just watching a sport, right? And that's not what they're trying to do in wrestling. They're trying to be sports entertainment, right? A TV – like right. a weekly TV show with script but also action. And it frustrates me sometimes because 
I love going and watching things, but all you need to do some is like a little quick yeah. flashback sometimes, right? Or yeah. a little quick cut or a 30-second insert scene where a character explains something and we would have felt a lot better. Um, I think something we to get missing, us invested. Right? We were yeah. missing like three or four of those cut back to a young Bo-Katan. Right. You know? And like seeing mm -hmm. something that her dad told her, right? Like seeing the differences between Bo's how Bo was raised and like Din or the armorer were raised, you know, and what was important to that. I don't some things that I just felt like we didn't get enough of that at all. Um, we never saw we never saw Bo Katan get the get the Darksaber in the first place. I don't know if that no. happened on Clone Wars or whatever. Uh, but we never saw that. Um, and then we never saw it getting taken away. We, we heard the story about how Moff Gideon betrayed her. But Why we can we get a flashback of that it. scene? Right. And, and then so that that means we're not invested in the story of the Darksaber or, you know, Bo-Katan's relation to it. We're just kind of told about it. We needed something to be invested in that story. Uh, it just and instead what we got was just stuff happened. Um, and we, we were told of why it was important. And then we were showed the resolution of that. But we needed to feel why it was important in the first place and go through that and then experience that resolution. Instead, we got this great resolution, but there wasn't that setup. We we weren't we didn't we weren't invested in the story to begin with. So no. it, it felt like nothing happened. And it's weird because they I, I feel like at least they did a pretty good job with Bo this season overall with her yeah. as a character. Like I'm invested in her. I care about what she's yeah. doing. I think she. She came off well in, and they did a good job. Grogu sitting on her lap in some of the episodes too, right? <laughs> like they make Grogu like her, so we want to like her too. And she's great with Din. And they, the last four or five episodes, they have a really like honest, good relationship with each other. Yeah. Like Din becomes like her right hand man. Um, so I, I still feel I, like if we saw Bo Katan's like the fallout of you know how her people left her, and we saw a little bit more of that, and we saw a little bit more conflict with her. And Din, and we were more worried that they were actually going to go at it, and they were more, um, you know, in conflict with each other. Uh, and then, then all this resolution would would feel so much more impactful. But we just yep. didn't get enough, in my opinion. No, my and no, and and I, it's because I care about Bo. I just mm -hmm. didn't care at all about the dark stuff. Like it just didn't Not seem sure. like a big deal to me at all. Like it, yeah. because they didn't make it seem like a big deal. I wasn't felt like it was something. That I had to go, oh, oh my god. Like I never got that. Um as Bo and Moff Gideon are at the end of their battle, she looks up and tells Moff Gideon that Mandalorians are stronger together. And here comes Din from behind, shooting at Moff Gideon. The huge Imperial ship with axe is closing in coming down on the area where Bo, where Gideon, where Din, and where Grogu are, and as Axe crashes, a huge flame, big wave of fire explodes, and the entire place starts to crumble. Everything is, is, is engulfed in flames, and we see as this hits, Moff Gideon stands there, and the <laughs> fire just runs right through all of him. Yeah. And we, we see... Like the entire cave actually engulfed in flames. We get like a big aerial shot from the outside, and that's the cave that our heroes are in Grogu, Din, and Bo. 
But as we check back in with them, Grogu is using the force to create a protective halo, like a shield that protects himself, Bo, and Din. He's redirecting the flames. We've seen this before. The visual of this was great. And seeing (laughs) how Din, or seeing how Bo was just mesmerized by the the power of Grogu and what he could do. You could see it on her face. She couldn't believe it. And then he he's in better shape, but our poor little guy's a little tuckered out afterwards. Oh, he yeah. like the way he just plopped on his butt, not yeah. like <laughs> bloop, and he just plopped down, man. Uh, that was great. <laughs> that was just fantastic. So Grogu again in a very Yoda holding up the falling ruins, right? Like moment. Like you got a lot of that those feels here from Grogu, and we see that his power is continuing to grow. Yeah. And uh, like we've seen his power before and I feel like they're teasing that it could be even greater than, than this, uh, what, what, what we've seen here. And obviously this is the best example of Grogu's power, right? We've seen toss guards, like, you know, out of buildings and things like that. And, um, but the mythosaur, we also find the mythosaur again later at the end of this episode. And he connects, I just can't help but help but think that maybe Grogu's destiny is to ride that motherfucker. Oh, dude, he's <laughs> got it. He's going to be Excuse me. my language. No, <laughs> it's a, we, we can drop him occasionally. and Occasionally, occasionally. Because then they have more impact, right? When you, when you just F-bomb everything all throughout, it doesn't. But when you come up with a motherfucker, you know what I mean? Then you're, then you're good to go. And, uh, man, th- this, was, this was great stuff from Grogu. As we are back now in the ruins of Mandalore and the Mandalorians are rebuilding. We see a baptism. It's Ragnar. Mm -hmm. So how we open the season, we're closing it. We're putting Mm -hmm. a book on it. Ragnar, the son of Paz Vizsla. He is being baptized. I swear on the name and the names of my ancestors that I shall walk the way of the Mandalore. And we see this baptism. This is the way Ragnar has taken the creed. He's taken the oath. So Din then asks the armorer, um, can you add Grogu to the song? He is my apprentice. He's no longer a foundling. The armorer responds, though, he's too young to speak, so he's too young to take the creed. He must remain a foundling. Din kind of interrupts the way, but if his parent gives him permission, couldn't he then become a Mandalorian apprentice? Well, yes, but his parents are far from here if they are even alive. So Din says, I will adopt him as my own. And Grogu just loves this. You hear him just coo. And you know what? The armorer freaking loves this. When she says, this is the way. Like she says it almost like that. Got proud, like super proud of Din for stepping up here. Let it be written in song that Din Djarin is accepting this foundling as his son. You are now... Din Grogu, Mandalorian Apprentice. This is the way. How cool is that? Din Grogu. Amazing. Yeah. And an interesting naming convention, too. Didn't realize that. Uh, I know a lot of people were talking about how they were surprised it's not like Grogu Jiren or whatever. I guess yeah. Din is the last name and that comes first. Or I, I don't know. It's a surname and it comes first. Uh, so, yeah, that's an interesting little little tidbit about um, 
Din's culture. And I don't know if that's different from the Mandalorian culture. And that's something that comes over from like his, you know, his adopted his original birth. Right? Yeah. yeah. Because the Mandalorians seem to do the, the you know, the, the surname last. Yeah. With mm-hmm. the Paz Vizla and his, you know, lineage and all that. So I, um, I thought that was an interesting little tidbit there. And I was surprised with him being a Mandalorian that like the, the naming convention didn't switch there or like, I don't know how that's supposed to work, but it just, uh, it stood out to me as something that was kind of interesting. Din Grogu looks down into the waters of Mandalore, the mines here, the magical waters, mm-hmm. and he's able to like, sense the mythosaur and connect yeah. with this mythosaur using the force. We see the mythosaur open open its eye almost to kind of tell us, I've got you guys. I'm watching over you. I'm, yeah. I'm protecting you because this is the the mythical beast that protects mm-hmm. Mandalore, that saves Mandalore. Mandalore and the mythosaur are one, uh, the people of Mandalore. This this is the symbol of the people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought the lighting of the Great Forge, like this to me felt way more impactful than anything to do with the Darksaber. I just like seeing it yeah. and like hearing how the armorer a few times had talked about the Great Forge mm-hmm. and comparing the Great Forge to the forge that she was using, which was nothing, mm-hmm. but how they both have the same purpose. But what this Great Forge means to the people, I don't know, just seeing this lit up and and yeah. Bo lighting it, that felt more like a big deal to me than anything Darksaber related. It did, and that's because I think we got more of the forge. We saw the armor, Absolutely. you know, using it. We saw how important it was to the culture, uh, and so then we were able to feel that more. With the dark saber, we were more so just told about why it was important, um, and we didn't really see it and and, and feel it. Um, the armor told us about why it was important, but she was using it at the at the time, literally. Uh, so we got to see that forge in action being used and why it was important. And, it, and for a longer stretch of time, I think they kind of established that. Whereas the Darksaber kind of would be in the background and then, sh- you know, it showed up at the end of, what it was the season one for the first time, just one quick shot. And then, you know, we get a little bit of it in season two, uh, a little bit of it in Boba Fett, but um, it just didn't feel like there was enough there, there uh, ultimately uh, by comparison. And yes, this forge sequence and the, all the, um, the kind of pageantry and the, the uh, around it and the you know everyone li- lining up and all, all the um the celebration at the end of this episode also felt very much like Star Wars you know that the end of the mm-hmm. first at Star the end Wars of where they're getting yeah. and yeah. yeah all that and it, I like how it ties back to those the classic Star Wars tropes and and the, the 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 building blocks of Star Wars and this episode truly did have everything Trope. I think that that makes Star Wars Star Wars all Me the too. cool things all the and gadgets that's why we liked it. the droids the action everything about Star Wars that we love was there yes absolutely yeah you can't just lean on those things all the time they have to be used as good devices and that's what they were yeah. in this episode mm-hmm. the armorer tells Din now you have to take your apprentice on on his journeys just as your master just as your teacher did for you so we're back where we were right yeah. we're we're back with din and grogu uh the adventures of din and grogu and we have different stories to tell for the armorer and bo katan and the rest of the mandalorians axe and koska that were that are all uh there on mandalore together din and grogu they're gonna go travel the galaxy as they show up at the new republic officer bar where Captain yeah. Carson Tava was, 
and uh, where the pilots always hang out. Din has some business to uh, to talk about with Carson Tava. In first, they uh, they talk about Moff Gideon, how they got the better of him. And Din says, this youngling is my apprentice, and I'm a bounty hunter by trade. But now that he's with me, I'm going to be selective in my assignments. You don't have resources to protect the Outer Rim, let down, let alone hunt the Imperial Remnants. I need work. I want to help you out. So he <laughs> offers his services to the New Republic, but only on a case-by-case basis as an independent yeah. contractor. Um, Teva says, I don't know. This is against regulation. It'll never get approved. But Din reminds him, you're not going to tell him. Of course, you've already thought yeah. about this. You've already accepted it. It's a great deal yeah. for you. I'm basically helping you for nothing. <laughs> like you, you don't have to do anything except yeah. the only thing I ask for. And he points to a droid head on the top of the bar. It's a scrap mm-hmm. assassin droid head. Yep, I need it for parts. That was the same head of IG11, who Grogu was uh, a passenger in IG12. IG11 saved up. Uh, Grogu and Din back in season one. Yeah. And we close out this episode and this season back on Navarro with Grief Karga. Mandal- uh, Din, the Mandalorian, and Grief are interacting. And Grief gives him a little deed to a small cabin outside of town. He says, you can lay low with your new family if you choose to do so between adventures. And he thanks him for everything he's done for Navarro. And it, and it's, it's a corny moment that you're expecting to happen, but when mm-hmm. grief just just like squats down and says, and that goes for you too, Din Grogu. I just <laughs> love it. Like I just yep. freaking lo- Carl Weathers here talking to Grogu, you know, and and calling him Din Grogu. Before he leaves, yeah. though, Din has a gift for grief. And it's a fully rebuilt ig11 he looks sharp man he looks fantastic <laughs> he's all well done he greets the citizens says, i'm ig11 your new marshal your new marshal of navarro so the uh yeah. one of the issues that they had at navarro didn't have anyone there to keep the peace didn't want to have mm-hmm. to involve the new republic so now they've got a marshal that they know that yeah. they trust and that's not Gina this, Carano. Let's be not, honest. That's, that's, I was gonna say, that's why it played to, out like that. Clean way to <laughs> just sort of, hey, it's not Gina Carano. You know, and it's yeah. not Cara Dune. Um, maybe yeah. we can put some some time between this and a possible future uh, project for Cara Dune. Right? That's what they were doing yeah. for us right there. Like, hey, we'll buy her another six months to a year and see how <laughs> things are then. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and we've said it before, but I, I want her to come back. I think she, they her should bring her back. on the show think... was great. Like, as, a, as a character on the show, she was badass and fantastic, and she very much fits. And it, she didn't – me as a fan of mm-hmm. Star Wars, that character didn't have an end yet. I don't. No. I didn't feel satisfied with with the finish for that character. So for me, as a fan of something, I didn't. It still leaves a bad taste in your mouth, feeling me like too. you didn't get a resolution one way or the other. But oh yeah, she's off here. No, like we need something more than that from a character that was being set up to be a big part of future future Star Wars projects. Yeah, and who delivered on screen? I mean, her her action great. sequences were really good. She sold the action very very well. And uh, and even like I remember thinking that her um, her line delivery was her weakest parts. But, you know, I've been rewatching and she 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 did what she needed to do. 
with mm-hmm. everything that they give her. Like they didn't give her the most, you know, challenging scenes or lines to do. But uh, I, at, when I was rewatching it, was surprised w- with how little complaints I had about her acting because you'll hear people who disparage her say that she's a terrible actress. They try and all to this. pile on, but, but it's not the case. Yeah. You, you have no, to be able I to separate. I think she did a really good job. You, yeah, like, exactly. We can we can say that whether or not you like or think what she said is good or bad or you agree or mm-hmm. disagree, that has nothing – even if she should be able to be on the show because of that, that's that has nothing to do mm-hmm. with her – with with the role that she played on this show, right? Totally yeah. different, totally different things. On the show, I never had a gripe about her as the character she played. She did a good job. She had a good presence to her. She was able to provide comedy and seriousness. And I wanted yeah. to see some weird relationship with her and Bill Burr, you know, like, yeah, they, were, yeah, like right? they were teasing that, you know what I mean? Like they and were teasing they, that there was something there with those two. And I wanted to see her like just totally emasculate him all the time. And and also keep in mind, uh, you know, just on the real world side of things, there are no Gina Carano victims out there. There's no one out there who's going, oh, if I see Gina Carano on screen, that's going to be PTSD because, you know, she R worded me, you know, she. You know, I was sexually assaulted by Gina Carano. No, that didn't happen. She said said some stupid stuff that was like maybe maybe uninformed, maybe not who knows, but just she didn't really hurt anyone, do anything. And like we said, she's definitely she's already dealt with a lot of backlash from it and and already dealt with some punishments. Now, I don't know what it's like for her and if she's going to want to keep going and saying things like that. I, I don't know what her feelings right. are, right? Like, is she one who wants to get back involved in all of this or is she more of like feeling like Fair. I'm a social media crusader? I, I don't know. But if we're able to separate those two things, she did yeah. a good job in this show. That's all I'm saying is that I agree. If, I'm, if I'm gauging actors and, and like what the part they played, I would like to see her back playing that part again somewhere down the line. And we've created this universe now where she could pop up in two years somewhere, if stuff mm-hmm. is cooled down, in Ahsoka, in another season of The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. in Book of in Boba Fett, right? In a mo- in the, the movie, movie like you announced. said, that, that they yeah. just announced, like in any of these. So we finish up yeah. in a small cabin, Din relaxing, sitting back while he's watching his son Grogu play in a little little lake with the frogs jumping around. Happy for now. So uh, our heroes... They have a, a a moment to relax before they head out onto their adventures. I was a little I, I thought, you know, it's a, a cute, sweet ending with uh with Din and, and Grogu there. I was a little yeah. surprised we didn't get any any post credit scene or any any sort of like what's coming next to yeah. like a, a lead in to Ahsoka or a lead in as a teaser for the next project. Cause we got that mm-hmm. in The Mandalorian. We got that in the book of Boba Fett. I think we even got it in a few of the Obi-Wans uh, and a lot of the Star Wars stuff. We definitely get it in all of the Marvel MCU one uh, shows and, and movies. But yeah. it's kind of a clean putting a bow on season three with Din and Grogu happy together. Yeah, it, that's interesting. I thought it was appropriate, I guess, that they didn't do that, that they didn't yeah. have a post-credit sequence. Uh, because it guess- seemed like what they were going for is just trying to wipe the slate clean. And start fresh here. This was like a soft reboot. They were they were trying to close out all the storylines that they had built up and then start fresh and maybe even reframe the series into a more episodic, 
you know, episode to episode, um, you know, adventure to adventure kind of thing, instead of tying everything across, you know, a, one big storyline that's going to culminate in something. Um, maybe they're going to be doing more episodic things where there's little tidbits here that culminate into the larger story, but maybe that's not really Din and Grogu's story anymore. Um, they're they're just they're going to play small part in that you know big storyline that's converging. But all those other characters that you mentioned, you know, Ahsoka and Bo-Katan and probably a bunch of other characters that we haven't met yet, are also going to you know play an even bigger Ron. part in their series. And then, uh, and then, you know, I think maybe Din and Grogu will end up being a supporting character, side characters along the way in that. And then when we go back to Mandalorian, it's just going to be every episode they're on a different mission. And then that that mission will be kind of resolved within that episode. But maybe we'll get a tidbit here and there how it connects to a, a greater story. But maybe it's not their story anymore. Very excited for what the future of Star Wars brings us. Yeah. And I got to I got to thank my good buddy, Tim Kelly here. Tim, uh, for those of you who are listening, you've heard Tim for a couple of years now help me with a lot of the Marvel MCU movies and TV shows. And honestly, if I needed Tim's help with Star Wars stuff any earlier than this, I don't think it would have been able to to happen because there was so much MCU (laughs) stuff going on. We were always doing like another show, another movie. The timing ended up perfect where – Matt uh, Velasco, who had helped me with a lot of the Star Wars stuff, he just recently had a a kid, so he was very, very busy, and man, you stepped right up to the plate and said, absolutely, I can help you out, and for those of you who don't know, we record a lot of these because Tim works a full-time job and has a family and a kid and is expecting another one, so a lot of these we record on like Saturday or Sunday morning at like 6.30 in the morning, super early, so we can you know, work around Tim's schedule and, and my schedule a little bit, but mainly when you have some free time. So, man, I cannot thank you enough for all your help and for stepping in. And I just, I love having these conversations with you because there's always stuff you make me think that I wasn't thinking when I watched the show back. And sometimes it's Same. a positive and other times it's like, you know what? He was right. And that wasn't very smooth. <laughs> or, you know, sometimes I'm like thinking about it later and I mean, that's what that's what friends are for. You get the chance to kind of <laughs> talk and share all of like your like your your nerdy thoughts on these shows and these movies. And it's been a blast the last couple years. And I'm so happy that you were able to make the transition from the MCU and the world of Marvel on over to the world of uh, of Star Wars with us. And I sent you a, a message the other day. We don't have quite as much set for this year as there was Mm -hmm. last year. Last year was a super ambitious year where they had so many. I actually think that's going to be better. I really do. Yeah. I think it'll, the content is going to be better than where the last few years it felt like, oh, we've got this new thing. It's Disney plus we want to put a bunch of stuff out there. We want to have reasons for people to keep going. And and some of the content suffered because of it. Uh, It it really did. Um, But man, whether we love stuff, whether we're a little bit more critical of it, I know that you're always going to come and you're always going to be honest. You're always going to be well-researched. You're going to have reasons. And, man, that's what all the uh, the listeners and the viewers really appreciate. And I've only gotten really great positive feedback uh, since you've joined and, uh, and been hanging out with us, TK. Oh, thank you so much. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate uh, the, the time we get to spend together, you know, dissecting these episodes and um, before we go, I just wanted to say one quick thing uh, about somebody that I lost this past week. Uh, the world Please lost do. a great a great guy. Uh, my good friend Austin Kamada passed oh, away uh, last Friday. 
Uh, don't mean to put a dour Please, note. Please, no. Tell, you know, tell us a little bit more about Austin. Give, give us a little, a little bit about yeah. him. Who, who was this to you? Who was this person to you? So he was a real good friend of mine and one of the biggest Star Wars fans that I know. Oh. And we, one of the last things we were talking about was the Mandalorian season, and he really liked this. We were, we were, um, we were breaking it down a little bit, and he liked the season a lot. Was a big Clone Wars fan, uh, and we were having some great discussions about that. But he's an old classmate of mine and a, one of my closest friends. Uh, from college, uh, we've stayed in touch over the years. And um, last Friday, uh, he passed away um, suddenly. Uh, uh, he unfortunately did take his own life, but uh, he was a great man, a great guy. We loved him. And uh, I'm really sad for so many things that we're going to miss out on. Uh, but he, his love of Star Wars and his support of his friends was always there. Um, he was a great filmmaker and uh, he he believed in me, you know, back in the day when we made some films together. Uh, so I just wanted to take a moment to just thank you for sharing uh, that with us. May, share they, about his memory and just we'll, we'll miss you, Austin. Uh, we love you. And then if anybody out there is, you know, going through something, please uh, reach out to somebody talk because I, I wish I, I had an opportunity to uh, talk with Austin one more time. And, you know. I wish that we had the, the the chance to do things a little bit differently, uh, mm -hmm. but we love you, Austin, and um, uh, I just want to dedicate today to my my friend Austin Kamada. And he will uh, he will live on in uh, all of your memories and the the moments that you you talked with him about this stuff, right? You'll think about the Mandalorian, yeah. and you'll think about him now every time. Austin, thanks for being such a good friend to my friend Tim, and uh, may the force be with you, Austin. Yeah. Never easy to uh, to make the transition back to the real world after serious something like that. TK, yeah. we love you, buddy. We know you're going Thanks, through brother. a tough time right now. Thanks so much for helping out with us. Austin, rest in peace up there. And uh, Austin, while you're up there, make sure you do some some really good producing and directing and get some good <laughs> content ready for us for the next few years, right? I think he's yeah. going to pull some strings up there. So we'll have some great stuff to uh, to watch and talk about. Um, Tim Kelly, love you, my friend. Look forward to Thank talking you, with you again. So what do we say next? We got uh, maybe about a few weeks or a month we'll we'll hit Guardians 3 yeah, or so because Guardians 3 comes out, I think, in like two, like a week or two. So mm -hmm. we'll try to watch it out in the theater. I always like to watch them twice in the theater if we can, right, before we get a chance to talk to yeah. talk about them. So let's aim for like three weeks or a month. We still haven't gotten the chance to do Ant-Man um, and the Wasp Quantumania, but that will be coming out on Disney Plus soon. So those will be sort of our next two projects to uh, to take down before we get to Ahsoka. That series, we're going to have Secret Invasion series coming up later in the year for MCU Marvel. And then even later, I know one that I'm really excited about is Loki. I, I yes, Loki was one of, I think that felt like one of the one of the things that we both enjoyed the most that we talked about. And uh, unfortunately, some real world stuff uh, bleeding into that story, too, with all the stuff surrounding Jonathan, Jonathan Majors. Majors. I know. And apparently what he's in that series and it's in the can. And there's questions about, you know, whether they're going to they do and cut out. Are they going to air the series on time? So, man, it, it really crazy to think yeah. like this is a totally different topic. Right. And we could spend a yeah. whole podcast <laughs> on it itself. Sure. But it's amazing to think that that hasn't happened more in in like where there are actors or people committed to these projects 
that do really bad stuff and that they have to get changed. Like, think about the whole MCU. Like, they've been pretty lucky that a lot of them didn't mess up or didn't screw up and and ruin future plans. It was kind of the backwards for Robert Downey Jr., right? He was a mess early on in his life. He did a lot of yeah. a, a lot of bad stuff. And to think that he's like the face of Disney and was Iron Man is pretty crazy. I mean, these are different allegations I, and things that he was charged for. And, and that's what's hard is like, there's not really a positive way to spin a lot of this major stuff. There really isn't. No. It's bad all around. And I mean, talk about uh, a fall from grace. This is the Quickly. biggest movie star of the moment. This is a guy who he was on two billboards opposite each other. You know, uh, this is this is crazy. We're talking Creed three. We're talking, um, you know, Ant Man, Quantum Within and weeks of each and other. He's the new he's the new Thanos, right? Like he's the big yes. he's Darth Vader of of Marvel uh, moving forward into this next phase. So the idea that he is going to be caught up in this this type of a scandal where we're talking about domestic violence and multiple. Uh, alleged victims. Wow, that is really was, rough. He was held in such high regard. Yeah, like nobody ever said a bad word about this guy before this. As who he was as a person, as an actor, everybody, even even the even the bad like the negatives mm-hmm. of Ant Man. Nobody right. said anything negative about him at all. They were no, like the only rave reviews for him. Like yeah. he was fantastic. He's going to be a great villain. He jumps off the screen and. <sighs> We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens with, uh, with <laughs> what's coming up, and you're gonna hear about it right here with me and with TK on the That's What G Said podcast. Tim Kelly, great friend of mine, another one in the books, buddy. Mandalorian, Thank you. yeah, season three. Make sure to give Tim a follow on Twitter and on Instagram at Tim Is Not Funny. Check out his amazing music projects. The super talented dude. Him and his wife. They can let loose. They are awesome. You really want to download um, anytime, anywhere you can. Spotify, you can check out a lot of their music over there. TK, my friend, have an awesome couple weeks. I'll check in with you, uh, and uh, we'll talk some uh, either Ant-Man or Guardians 3 coming up soon. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much to Tim Kelly. Thanks so much to all of you for hanging out with us through another Star Wars Disney Plus series. We'll be back in this world before you know it. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to come on That's What G Said. A big thank you to Tim Kelly for helping us out with The Mandalorian, another season in the books. So we'll uh, get back into the world of Star Wars and and then MCU. Actually, first, I think we'll hit uh, what Guardians 3 and Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. We still have to have those recapped. Then Secret Invasion. And then we'll get back to Star Wars. A big thanks again to Tim. Hopefully we were able to help you out with a couple plays at Keeneland for Wednesday. We'll be back later in the week, but we're doing a lot of content right now on social media. If you follow me on Twitter, it's me, Gino B. If you subscribe to the YouTube channel, um, the uh, the YouTube channel, That's What G Said Podcast, you can get all of the great information there, any additional stuff that's not on the podcast. So thank you so much for hanging out with us again. We'll be back in just a few days. Have a nice rest of your week. Spidey and Thor